forward on this computer. All right, so there we go. So now we're recording. All right, let me go back to my screen. Okay, so we're looking at the spiritual sense of scripture and what that means, and then we're gonna look at the four senses of scripture. All right, so patristic and medieval exegesis. So it is important for Bible students to understand that the way theologians, um, meaning Bible students at any level, approach the Bible today is much different in many ways from how scholars did during the patristic to medieval periods. This is primary true, primarily true because of the three basic assumptions introduced in the previous lessons. So remember last, last week we talked about um, the assumptions. Um, let me go back real quick so I can show you all what I'm talking about. Remember the harmony between so when, they're, when they were um, interpreting scripture, these are the guidelines that they used. They used to um, make sure that there was harmony between the Old Testament and uh, the New Testament. Um, they made sure to see that, that the, the, the interpretation, uh, it was harmony between the message of the Bible and that of the church. And remember, when you see um, that of the church, it means that it, it's not, it doesn't mean the church that we think, like the body of Christ, the church, how they interpret church was the clergy so the message um, of the bible has to coincide to what the clergy think the bible says or whatnot so and then the last one is the harmony between sacred and secular knowledge uh, remember we talked about how um back then there wasn't a separation of church and state that everything was uh, ran through the church, uh, when it comes to education, when it comes to anything, if it if it did not um, go with their beliefs and their standards, um, they will exit out. So we talked about how they thought, you know, the earth was flat, and that's something that they had to teach in school. So they didn't teach about Darwinism or none of that. Like if it goes against the Catholic faith, um, you and if you get caught teaching it or um, learning about it, you can be excommunicated from the church and things like that. So that's um, the things that we learned about um, in the previous lesson, okay? So uh, let's see here. The term exegesis, um, biblical exegesis, tend to have a different meaning today depending on a number of factors. According to some theological sources, the term is understood as merely synonymously with interpretation that seems to be the case with our textbook. So since we are studying um, at the present time the patristic and medieval period of church history, I think it's important to consider how the Catholic Church viewed the definition then and in some Catholic circles continues today. So we will look at other definitions, but for now, um, listen to how uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia defines exegesis, okay? So this is what they believe that exegesis means. So when you see the parentheses, that's just kind of my comments on what they mean in a sentence. So exegesis is the branch of theology which investigates and expresses the true senses of sacred scripture. The exegete, that means that's us. So who? So they will call you the exegete, those who are looking at scriptures, things like that. Um, the exegete, um, does not inquire which books constitute sacred scripture. So they, um, they do not concern themselves with canon. Um, they do not want for you to be bothered with it like we're doing. 
um, nor does he investigate their, the genuine text, so no um, textual criticism, nor again does he study the double authorship. Remember, we talked about human and divine author. They said, don't worry yourself about that. So he accepts the books, which according to the concurrent testimony of history and the uh, ec uh, ecclesiastical authority belonging to the canon of sacred scripture, obedient to the decree of the Council of Trent. So that's their kind of like their board of bishops. Um, he regards the Vulgate as the authentic Latin version. And remember, we talked about the Vulgate and how um, erroneous it is, the translation. Um, a lot of the words are, are not translated correctly, but this is their, this is their, uh, this is uh, what they, what they use. So without neglecting the results of sober textual criticism based on the readings found in the other versions approved by Christian antiquity and the scriptural, um, script, scriptural citations of the fathers and in the more ancient manuscripts. So with regard to authorship of the sacred books too, the exegete follows the authoritative teaching of the church, remember that's clergy, um, and the prevalent opinions of her theologians on the question of biblical inspiration. So you see how um, boxed in it is as, as far as someone could um, look at look at scripture it has to make sure it follows um you know the three assumptions that it cannot go against uh, what you know the council of trend or any of the um bishops um any of their uh end of scholars to any of their interpretation it cannot go against that and they don't want you to branch out and look at different canons and um, different books, different um, lists of scriptures and things like that. So if we were in the Bible days um, and, you know, we got caught doing a teaching like this, so say, you know, we're sitting there doing a teaching like this in the Bible days, more than likely I'll probably be killed or excommunicated. And second, um, since there's men in this class, I I'm not um, allowed to teach men. And then you all will probably be excommunicated excommunicated as well so there are a lot of um give me one second there are a lot of um restrictions when it comes to someone can um interpret scripture you have to follow their rules and there's their rules only and if you were caught you were excommunicated from the church and even most a lot of them um died um we're going to find out um in the in in the classes to come, a lot of these um, scholars and a lot of these um, bishops who bucked up against the system, a lot of them lost their lives. So um, it's uh, very interesting to, to see and to understand. So, um, okay, so we're going to look at a definition of exegesis. Let me make sure I'm caught up in my notes. Yep. So, uh, so now we will consider other definitions for the theological term of exegesis. So the Greek word exegesis, that is exposition, denotes the actual work of interpretation. So hermeneutics, uh, therefore the science of interpretation, exegesis, the application of science to the word of God. The hermeneutical writer lays down general principles of interpretation the exegetical writer uses these principles in the exposition of scripture. Okay, 
So let me let me break all this down. I was like, what are all these words? So remember we talked about last week, hermeneutics is the art, the science, and the spiritual act of interpretation. And when you see, remember, when you see the science of interpretation, that means that there are certain rules that you have to go by. You know, when you're dealing with science, they have rules. And so they just use the word science of interpretation, rules of interpretation. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk, and then I think it's the next slide about exegesis and exposition. Uh, let me make sure. Yeah. So, um, so I found it um, beneficial to treat the two terms with distinctions and relationship. With this said, exegesis is the process to discover the original intent of the author, okay? While exposition is the work of assessing the significance of the text both for its time and for ours, okay? So with exegesis, you're really doing, you're really doing a lot of digging. You're looking at um, certain principles and rules. And then with exposition, you're looking at it, um, you know, what it meant for them and what it means for us today. Um, let me see here. So the word, you'll, you'll hear this word and you see this word, it's called critical analysis. And it's a scholarly, academic, um, I can never get these words right. Uh, it's on my tip of my tongue and it's not coming out. Methodical review or examination of the biblical text. So, um, so basically it's not really the importance of how you define the terms. Um, that the, uh, it seems to me that the fundamental element in the definition has always unified the church is that exegesis involved critical analysis um, and or examination of the biblical text. So when we are talking about critical analysis, we are looking, we are talking about this. So here is an acronym that we will be studying in the next class. It's called C.W. Gibbs, okay? So anytime you're looking at a passage of scripture, you're going to use this acronym. So you're gonna look at the content, you're gonna look at uh, what's going on in that time, you're gonna look at words, so how the um, certain words is translated from its original uh, from its original meaning, meaning we're gonna look at the, the Greek and the Hebrew. You're gonna look at grammar. Um, and as you know, in a lot of um, translations, comma makes a difference when you're reading scripture or semicolon or um, how it's broken up as far as um, with headers and things like that. That is so important when you're looking at um, interpretation. Um, another is author's intent. So remember that there are um, two types of authors. You got the divine author, you got the human author. We're gonna look at both. So what God meant in the scripture and what, and, um, what the human author meant. You know, why was he writing this scripture and things like that? So you're going to look at the background of what was going on. And in that Bible times, you're going to you have to learn about the culture. You have to learn about, you know, Judaism. You even have to learn about a lot of the pagan uh, religions when you're studying certain texts and things like that. So you can have a clear understanding of scripture. Uh, for example, in, in Corinthians, it's important to, to learn about uh, the Corinthian church and how they were exposed to various pagan, uh, pagan religions and how and why Paul was addressing them and clearing up some things or whatnot. And, um, the last one is scripture. 
um, see how scripture interprets scripture and things like that. So the, this is this is something you're going to see over and over again. And we're definitely going to hit it in the next class uh, when we're studying Bible study methods. So this is something that you really want to keep in mind, especially those who who um, do uh, sermons and messages and things like that. You want to be able to hit these points in your in your messages um, to make sure that well in your messages and even when you're studying to make sure you're hitting these points so you can you can properly interpret scripture. So we'll get to that in the next class though. Um, so um, in your book on page 42, um, if you have your book, we're going to hop into the book. So in the next um, few slides, and we're, we're actually almost done. Uh, this class is not going to be that long because we're finishing up the patristic period. So, they, um, so there are um, three kind of guidelines um, that they followed or whatnot. So let me let me hop to the to the book. Give me one second. Okay. So here is my book. Let me go on page forty. I think it's forty one in your book. The regu the regular uh, fidei, the rule of faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's see. Start. Okay, so let's start. The modern biblical interpreter is inclined to judge the correctness of interpretation by a method through um, which is achieved. So, in other words, the rules of interpretation are method uh, methodological. I can never say that word right. If one observes certain safeguards in dealing with the text, then one can be confident about about one's results. So the church fathers and medieval scholars, on the other hand, enjoyed a great freedom when it comes to methods of interpretation. Even these were not entirely arbitrary. There were rules of interpretation that the fathers followed. So basically they kind of made up their, like we've been learning, they, they made up their own rules on interpretation. Um, let me see here, let me go back to the, let me read this slide here. So, um, the idea of expression of regular fidei, the early church fathers first began to use this term to express what amount to those biblical teachings that made up essential biblical doctrines or teachings. So the early church fathers held two standards in which, to which identify the rule of faith. So the rule of faith is the name given to the ultimate authority or standard in religious belief, such as the word of God as contained in sacred scripture and the divine apostolic um, tradition. So this is kind of a fancy way to say that um, the Bible, to say that basically it's, it, it goes with the Bible and the church. So the Bible and the clergy, whatever they say, go. Uh, so they believe in authority that Jesus gave his apostles were given to them. So that's why they feel that they can, you know, hold standards like this to people and tell people what they need to do and how to study and have these strict rules because they believe that this apostolic uh, succession, they believe in apostolic succession, even today, um, they believe that it was given unto them and them only, and that no one else can receive this divine illumination, only they can receive it. Um, that uh, we talked about last week, how they believe that the Pope, 
the Pope is, is the mouthpiece of God, you know, for God or whatnot. So you can't really question what he said because he's next to God and things like that. So, um, let me see. See, they, like I said, they still believe they're, that they're under the apostolic faith. They believe that they have something more um, that the lay members do not have, okay? Um, so the, when you look at the word lay or lay member, the term lay member, it's basically those who uh, are plain or those who are not taking things seriously. So that's the word lay. That's what it means. So when you call somebody a lay member, you're, t you're basically saying that they're not taking their belief or their walk seriously. So that's why the clergy has to tell you what you need to do. Okay. So I encourage you not to use that, <laughs> use that word when, when speaking, even though it's like of habit to say lay member or whatever, but just be mindful of the definition and the term of, of, of a lay member or whatnot. So um, like we've been learning, like in their day, when you try to explain scripture, um, you have to follow their framework of exegesis. So you have to, you have to say, you know, which scholar you're quoting from, which um, bishop you're quoting from or church father, um, as long as their inter interpretation is in harmony with their faith, they wouldn't even entertain your interpretation if it's um, out of their belief system. Okay, so that's what it means, a rule of faith. It has to go with what their, their belief system is. Okay, so the next one is spiritual sense of scripture. So let me see here. Patristic and medieval exegesis involve what's sometimes called spiritual interpretations to scripture, other times referred to as allegorical interpretation. So let me show you an example in the book of allegorical interpretation. And actually, a lot of people do this when they're preaching. Okay, when I read this, that's why I highlighted it in pink. And I was like, oh my gosh. So let me show you an example. So the church fathers believe um, that just as human beings is composed of body and soul, so is scripture have both a bodily and spiritual meaning. Um, spiritual interpretation involves finding levels of meaning in biblical texts hidden beneath its surface in a literal sense, even if they were perhaps not entirely clear to the human author of the text in question. So let me jump down. So here's an example of Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Um, and Mark is that on the spiritual interpretation, such as followed by St. Augustine um, in his sermon, uh, Augustine, sorry, in the sermon, the five loaves of bread might be understood to represent five books of the Pentateuch and the five and the first five books of the Bible. Similarly, the boy who carried the loaves to Jesus could seem to represent the Jewish people who carried the loaves without being able to break them open. So Jesus' breaking of the loaves represents his explanation of the true sense of the Old Testament. And this example also highlights the dark side of such spiritual interpretation, the fact that it often reinforced tra traditional Christian stereotypes about Jews. So you see how... He just took a, the simple story of the, the two fish and five loaves of bread. And he added all this allegorical, spiritual, mystical <laughs> definition behind it. Wow. And a lot wow. of people do that in their preaching. That's I, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we, we <laughs> they do it all the time. So like That's I was crazy. listening um, today to John MacArthur. <laughs> 
And he was giving an example of a preacher who, who did this. He took the story of um, Lazarus raising, raised from the dead. And he preached about the end times uh, using this scripture here. And John MacArthur was so floored, like, and yeah. it was, he, was, he was so surprised of how he took, um, you know, the meaning of Lazarus' death to mean the resurrection of the church and all this stuff. Like, it was, it was so far-fetched. And the guy asked him, like, so what do you think about the message I preached? He was like, well, I've never heard anything like that before. And that's all <laughs> he could say about it and just walked away. And, <laughs> and the guy, he was so excited that <laughs> John MacArthur said, Oh, I preached something that no one's ever heard of before. Like it wasn't a com, it wasn't a positive comment. It was, it was uh, basically a negative, you know, whatever. So you hear this in a lot of people's preaching, how they would just kind of spiritualize and mystify scriptures to make this not, you know, just irrelevant point, you know. So that's what they were doing in that time, taking scripture and just going, going at. I think it was another example no wasn't another example uh may i ask a, a quick question sure uh, are people that do that saying that the historical event never happened but instead it meant something different well they're not denying it that it happened they just it just they're just giving trying to give a deep interpretation on, on why it happened or whatever like god okay. is trying to show you all you know, this behind it, that the five loaves is the, I've heard this too, it's crazy, it represents the five books, you know, they're just trying to, trying to entice the people, trying to give them something deep that, the, you know, they, they make it seem like the Lord is revealing something to them that no one else has ever gotten before, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, and I've heard it. I've heard people do this all the time and I just, you know, like, oh, amen, praise our God. You know, we just, you know, try to make it sound deep and exciting for people. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you don't, the word is exciting enough. You don't, <laughs> you don't need to add to the, to the interpretation. If you properly do the work, I'm telling you, you you'll be able to, be blown away about mm -hmm. just the, the original interpretation. Like to like the other day I was, um, I'm on this study of, um, what was it? Uh, I was, I was listening to a study on the, uh, was it the book of Corinthians? What I get my classes all mixed up now, but he was talking about, um, marriage and, and the book of Corinthians and how, uh, oh, the word sexual immorality or whatever. And so we have our own definition of what sexual immorality is, you know, fornication, adultery and all that stuff. That's what we think. But in the Bible, in the Bible their definition of sexual immor immorality is pagan, is, it, it is connected with paganism. How mm -hmm. I, did, I didn't know this. I was just like, oh. So, you know, a lot of them, they were having, you know, sex in the temple, they were doing all types of stuff, but they weren't, it was some rule, I have to do some more study, I don't want to throw it at y'all to, 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 to confuse y'all, but it was a rule with mm -hmm. a lot of the um, husbands, 
where they weren't allowed to sleep with their wives and things like that. And so they would have prostitutes in the temple. So they were, you know, having sex in the temple with prostitutes. So that's what Paul was talking about when it came to sexual immorality was them having sex in the temple. And I had no idea or whatever. Oh my. So, yeah. So it, it was, it was like that. So <laughs> when we think we're reading the scripture and when Paul's saying sexual immorality, we think enough fornication, all that stuff. It's deeper than that. Like they were, you know, doing stuff in the temple. So mm-hmm. you don't need to add nothing, you know, spiritually, but that like when you find the, the, the meaning of scripture and doing the background and doing the study and things like that, you'd be like, wow, you'd be taken away of the interpretation of scripture or whatnot. So yeah, it's just all about doing the work. It's a lot of work, but it's at the end of the day, it is so rewarding. Um, once you do the work, um, to know the, the real meaning of scriptures and things like that. So you don't have to make up stuff up like this in the book and all that stuff. So Anywho, let's see. We are almost done, actually. I think we got like two two more slides left. Look at that. It's probably the shortest night I ever had. All right. So, um, yeah, so that talking about allegorical interpretations, the spiritual sense of scripture. And then the last one, actually, yeah, this is the last slide. The four senses of scripture. So um Basically, it's almost kind of sum, summon, summoning up what we've been talking about. So the letter that teaches what was done. So the allegorical sense um, spoke of this mysterious faith. Um, the moral sense spoke of how one is to live. The anagogical sense spoke of the hope for a homeland of heaven. Um, let me go to the book and see what I got here for census. Um, so as early as the fifth century, the idea, um, the idea that biblical passages could, pos- could possess a spiritual meaning had developed into a doctrine of the four senses. So in this doctrine, each biblical text could be read literally according to a historical meaning, but it could also be read spiritually. And there existed three levels of spiritual interpretation. So I'll talk about the allegorical sense, the moral sense, the anagogical sense, uh, spoke as a hope for the homeland. And in the 13th century, this doctrine was encapsulated by f- a famous Latin verse or whatever. So, um, so it gives an example. This is the example I wanted to see. If Psalms, for instance, spoke of love for Jerusalem, um, then the literal, sen- literal meaning of this verse referred to the Palestinian city of that name. So allegorically, Jerusalem could be understood to refer to the church. Morally, it could be understood as the human soul. And a God, and, um, God uh, yeah, that word could be seen as a reference to the heavenly Jerusalem. So while this doctrine of four senses of scripture was widely accepted in principle, it was rarely employed in practice. When the patristic and medieval commentary commentators came to study particular biblical passages, they tend to speak of just two senses, a literal and spiritual. The latter could be an allegorical or moral or anagogical meaning. So you see how they would just go left field with interpretation and things like that. And that's kind of, you know, what we see now in church when people are, you know, giving you all this uh, supernatural teachings and five steps to the supernatural. And let me give you the, um, the secrets of the apostolic authority and all this stuff. Like it's, 
it's basically the same thing that they were doing back in the day. Like if I see one more course about training to be an apostle and, uh, you know, um, about gloriology and all this, all this craziness that we're just stretching scripture to say something that is not saying. And since a lot of people don't read scripture, they're falling for the okie doke because they don't have any type of teaching or systematic teaching that tells them that you don't need 20 steps in the supernatural. You don't need all this stuff. Like all you really need is scripture and the Holy spirit and he will give you utterance and he will allow you to know what the scripture is saying. And that is even more blessed than, but we're looking for, just like they were looking for back in the day, they're looking for something mystified and magical and just something with quote unquote power and all this stuff. And we don't understand what type of power we all possess as, as disciples of Christ. We don't understand what we have or whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's craziness out there. So, um, so if you only, you know, read scriptures and read things that just apply and, and if you only read scriptures to apply it to your life and not properly do the work of exegesis, then you really are going to kind of stumble or whatnot. So that's why I've always, um, I will always say like, almost every week, that's why God gave us spiritual guides so they can help us along the way or whatnot. Um, so we won't fall into error that we won't, um, make mistakes and that they're here to help us and to guide us. We're not here to lord over you. We're not here to control you, but we would just want to give you the tools and the resources needed. So you and the Holy Spirit, when you're studying, um, so you and the Holy Spirit can, can get the, the right interpretation. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and guide you. And all I'm doing is just giving you the tools that is needed um for interpretation of scripture and things like that so all right i think that's all any questions or concerns or thoughts i know it's kind of a lot now you understand what exegesis means so when a when a pastor say i'm about to exegete the scripture you can use cw gibbs and make sure he hit those points make sure he's giving content Content, word, grammar, author's intent. Like if he ain't hitting that, then he ain't exegeting them scriptures. So Okay. So what did you say about you shouldn't use the word lay member? I'm sorry I was distracted. No, you're good. Um the, the term lay um is it when you when you look at the um interpretation interpretation of a lay member, it means those who are plain, those who are not really taking the word of God seriously. So that's why they believe that they, the people need a, a clergy to tell them what they need to do. So it's basically belittling the people, telling them they're not really worth anything. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Wow. And we use it so freely. We do. All lay members <laughs> of the church. And, it's just like, and they don't understand what that word really means. Like... Mm. we are all co-laborers of christ like we're, we're all there's nobody lesser or greater we all have different assignments and different things to do we're all part of the body and there's no peace or part of the body that is greater or lesser like we're all important we're all needed and so yeah. but the clergy they're like nah 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was good. Yeah. It was good one tonight. I enjoyed it. Amen. Praise mm. our God. So anything else? All right. Remember that these notes are in the Dropbox. You can get them. Let me make sure I go through my attendance, make sure I got it. So I got Miss Eva. I got Shakai. I got Tanika. I got Dale. I see Ronice. Um, Paige. Miss Bobby. I see Trish. I got Tracy. Oh, you actually got your real name this time. I got, uh, <laughs> I got Khalil. I got Daryl. Uh, let's see here. I got Tammy. Tammy too. Gotcha. And Jamal. Yeah, kind of weird when I log up. When I use my phone, I become me. Oh, well, I amen. Yeah. <laughs> and we thank God for you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week we're gonna hit the Reformation, and I'm I'm gonna give. You, I'm telling. I'm I've been trying to hold it off because, but I found this this point that was so good that we're gonna talk about next week. We're gonna talk about the term of where they get Bloody Mary from. Wow. <laughs> I am so excited to teach about this one, y'all. Man. Wait. And here I thought it was just some character they made up in a scary movie. No, this is real. What? This is real. Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So y'all want to miss that. <laughs> That's my cliffhanger so to make sure y'all come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that. Talking about the term bloody mary i was reading that and i was like what wow you had no idea so yeah the bible these folks are crazy christians are crazy let me tell you that that's all i'm gonna say christians are crazy and we thank god for jesus christ the blood of jesus christ how about that so let me pray out and uh so you guys enjoy the rest of your evening so 7:45. that's a record so, uh, Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that you allowed us to come on and just learn about your word, God. Learn about the, um, the errors and the things that went wrong um, back in the Bible days, oh God. But God, you have given us the um, authority and the mandate to keep building on the church, God. So tear down uh, idol worship, tear down the, the mistakes that are... Um, past early fathers have made, oh God. And God, you're raising up these disciples. You're raising up um, these strong women of God to make sure that our, that, make sure that the word of God is being taught, God, according to the way you want for it to be taught, God. So God, we thank you um, for the opportunity just to learn your word, God, and that you will continue to grace us, God. When we may something may say something wrong or may misinterpret something god we thank you for the grace god you covered us oh god and you knew that um that this uh process is laborious and it's tedious and we're just trying to learn and get closer to you father so god we give you all the praise glory and honor in jesus mighty name amen amen all right so you guys have a great night and i'll see you all tomorrow see you God bless you guys. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye.